Good morning. You may be seated. Praise God for a beautiful, wonderful time of worshiping in spirit and in truth. We know that this is what pleases the heart of God. It's that not just we're singing these words to him, but hopefully that's what we mean deep down in, in our hearts. And I'm always looking forward to, to Sundays because he, it's all about him. We come to celebrate him. We come to celebrate the cross. We come to celebrate the resurrection. And personally, I, I love doing it with people from all over the world. For me, this is the, the right setting to worship Jesus at. Um, some years ago, I was reading this week, a photographer and a writer, they came together and they had a project. They went all over the world to different countries. They went to Nicaragua, they went to Italy, they went to Japan. So I think over 40 countries to see what people would bring together to bring together to eat. And how would what they would bring is influenced by their culture, is influenced by what was available uh, at that time. And so when people come together, even if it's in the same country, if, I don't know if you were able to go around Portugal a little bit, but if you go up north, food can be quite different from in Lisbon and quite different from the Algarve. So even in a small country such as Portugal, you find so much diversity in food. And it reminded me that when we get together on Sundays with people from all over the world, with different backgrounds and cultures, we experience a different flavor of God's grace. When we come together to worship God in spirit and in truth, we experience something that is special, that pleases the heart of God, that is His people, no matter the tongue, no matter the culture, no matter the outfits, what matters is that we come together and enjoy this unity and this diversity. We all come together around the person of Jesus Christ. And we just sang, it's all about you. And this is the goal of being a Christian. This is the goal of being a Christ follower. Surrendering and submitting our lives to him. But maybe you weren't able to sing this with all the passion in your heart. Maybe your heart has grown grown cold a little bit in, in some areas and maybe just maybe you know that you're in the right place you just don't know if your heart is in the right place but my prayer our prayer for you and for myself this morning is that through the word of God God will renew our love for him that God will renew that spark that passion that comes when the word of God is preached and today we're starting a short message series called kingdom rules now, can we all thank Lisa for the amazing job she did with the art? Can you give her a round of applause? Thank you, Lisa. She captured the idea. The kingdom proclaimed by Jesus was a new order of things that turned the world upside down. And that not just in the midst of Judean culture in the first century where, where Jesus lived, but it still continues to challenge our society today. So together we will reflect on what Jesus really did what Jesus really taught, and what faithfulness, faithful witness to the way of Jesus really means in the world today. So today I would love us to open our Bibles. If you have the Bible app, I challenge you to open. If you have a Bible with you, you probably over, no, I'm not going to say. Some people are older, uh, over 40 years old, they bring their Bibles. No, bring your Bible. It's the best way to take notes. But no matter if you're young or old, use the Bible that you love to read with. So 
Let's open together in John chapter 18. And the last chapters of the Gospels can be quite intense. Do you agree with me? The last chapters are quite intense because throughout Jesus' ministry, he chose to teach to the simple, to the meek, to the rejected, to the weary. He spent most of his time out, outdoors, traveling by foot with no shelter, with no comfort. But at the end of his ministry, we see Jesus being arrested and brought into the palace of the high priest, the most important religious leader at that time. Right after he's taken to the Praetorium, which is the palace of Pontius Pilate, the most important political ruler of that region. And there are settings that just make us shake a little bit on, our, on the inside. I don't know if you've ever been to a court of law, if you've been to places where the prime minister is. It, it, it feels like something changing. There's such a responsibility in being in those places. Well, Jesus was now in the most important settings at the end of his ministry. And this passage that we're going to start reading in, in verse 33 starts describing the conversation that Jesus had between Pilate uh, the conversation between Pilate and Jesus. So let's read. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Straight to the point. If there was something that Pilate knew from his many years governing in Judea, is that that was a politically unstable land. There were way too many people Way too many groups that wanted to rule that land. And he had seen his fair share of wild revolutionaries who claimed to be kings as well. Fast forward 2,000 years. Isn't still this how the world works? Whether it's through war or democracy, different groups keep clashing, keep bickering, and fighting over power, fighting over control. But there was something about Jesus. He didn't look like a revolutionary or a criminal. Pilate had seen these kinds of men before, and he knew that Jesus wasn't one of them. He could not reconcile the character of the prisoner in front of him with the charge that was brought against him. Continue reading says, Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Pilate, as a Roman, he simply had no interest in Jewish spirituality or social ideas. He wanted to understand that if the religious leaders brought Jesus to him, and these leaders wanted Jesus dead, he must have done something absolutely wrong. And he needed to know what was that. And Jesus could have given him... The truth and the absolute truth of what Jesus have done. Jesus healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He calmed the storms. He walked on water. He fed the multitude. He defeated demons. And he raised the dead. Jesus never did anything wrong against God or man. But this is Jesus' answer to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight 
so that I should not be delivered, delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus plainly told Pilate that he was, in fact, a king. And he could say, my kingdom. He also plainly told Pilate that his kingdom was not a rival political kingdom. It's a kingdom that does not belong to this world. Earthly kingdoms are based upon force, upon pride, the love of human praise, the desire of domination, and self-interest. The kingdom of Jesus is based on love, peace, sacrifice, humility, righteousness, which he fully demonstrated on the cross. Pilate, therefore, continue reading, said to him, Oh, are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Jesus did not deny that he was a king, but he was a different kind of king. He came with a purpose, to be the king of truth, that he would bear witness to the truth. Now for Pilate, soldiers and armies were truth. Rome was truth. Caesar was truth. Political power was truth. For Pilate, truth was something that could be chosen by the strong, by the powerful, and Jesus was not in that position. Many in our day still ask Pilate questions, but not many are willing to listen to Jesus when he says, I am the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. One thing is listening to the truth. Another thing is to be of the truth. Those who truly are of truth hear the words of Jesus. They place their faith and trust in him, and they decide to follow him. Now, the Jews that were accusing Jesus, most of them were Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders. They were the teachers of God's law. And they also acted as judges against the lawbreakers. But throughout the encounters that we see of Jesus with the Pharisees, we learn that they were so proud of their righteousness. So proud that they no longer actually needed God. They didn't recognize the Son of God right in front of them. When they looked at Jesus, they said, You don't look like a king. And we can't see your kingdom. You are definitely not what we expected. You're not royal. You're not classy. You're not wearing those robes. The Pharisees wanted a king that would overthrow Rome. And if you've studied history just a little bit, you know that living under Roman rule wasn't nice at all. The kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of the Pharisees clashed. For those three years of Jesus' ministry. The Pharisees wanted and waited for somebody. But not Jesus. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. If you can open 
with me, and we're going to start reading in verse 20. It says, Some Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. His answer was, The kingdom of God does not come in such a way as to be seen. No one will say, Look, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Even though they were his opposers, Jesus simply started to unfold a little more of his plan. And right from the beginning, Jesus said, it's not going to be how you imagine. It's not going to be how you want it to be. It was going to start in people's hearts. It wasn't going to start in politics. Jesus was telling them, you won't see me with my royal robe. You won't see me with my royal honors in all my glory. The only ones that will be able to recognize me as the king need to have an open heart. In verse 20, and then continuing, then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will know, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer these things and be rejected by his generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came. And destroy them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. Jesus was saying, at that moment in time, Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came to give his life to save it. But when Jesus returns, and we're waiting for his return, there will be judgment. Now many people will say, I don't believe in judgment from a good God. God says, there will be judgment. Just as it was on Noah's days, he will take his people and he will judge the world. Those who try to save their own life will lose it. Those who lose their life will save it. This is a profound statement. Recently, I heard this testimony of a Christian doctor. He was in the U.S. He always served God. He always went to church. He always did his very best to live as a good Christian. But after hearing his testimony, he was able to say that he wasn't serving Jesus wholeheartedly. There was always an element of fear and protectiveness in his relationship with God. He wasn't quite able to open his hands and truly surrender everything he had, his, even his career. 
some time before, he heard about this organization called Samaritan's Purse. Have you heard about this organization, any of you, some of you? They are very well known. They're an international relief and development charity that has helped meet needs of people who are victims of war, poverty, natural disasters, disease, famine, with the purpose of sharing God's love through Jesus Christ. If you go online, go check them out. They have such an amazing um, job and that they're doing all over the world. And they issued an appeal. They needed surgeons to go to Mosul in Iraq and serve at the field hospital taking care of civ civilian casualties there. And our friend, he knew God was calling him. But he was fearful. When he shared his thought with his immediate family, they said, no, no, you can't go. It's too risky. It's too complicated. You've never been to such parts of the world. You don't know what to do. You don't know what it's to be, what it's like to be in the middle of war. They were all dominated by fear. Nonetheless, he stepped out in faith and he went to the even more fear-inducing training in the U.S. Now, they gave him all the information that he needed to make a decision. He would be in the country at war. He would have to deal with landmines, with artillery shells, rockets, and last of all, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, if he survived. I don't think he ever prayed that hard in his life. But he prayed, his family prayed, and they decided, we're going to trust God. And he said, I am willing to lose my life for Jesus. So he went. After a few months on the field, he came back home. He survived. And he said, going to Iraq was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because now... I am free. I've worked with such godly people, such a godly team. I could feel that God was there with me every single day. If you want to understand what does it mean to lose our lives, to save it, I think this testimony says it all. Continuing in verse 15. Some people brought their babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. The disciples saw them and scolded them for doing so. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the children come to me and do not stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Remember this. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. This group of parents, they really, really wanted their children to meet Jesus. They didn't want their children to miss out on being in the very presence of the Son of God. Gabby, was, she had a training this week, and basically about uh, child protective services here in Portugal, and what, what do we do, what are the structures that we have in our country to protect children if there's a situation of abuse or neglect, and the training that she w went through was saying that 
in the 19th century, there were still no laws or even local or international laws that would protect children specifically. What happened was someone was visiting, an inspector was visiting someone's house to see if the animals were being well treated because there were laws for that back then. But after a while, that man was inspecting and all the animals were fine, but he saw a child in chains in his room. And from that moment onward, it started a movement that we need to look after children. So hopefully today, children are better looked after. But still, many times they're seen as second-class citizens or third-class citizens. In many different ways, we despise them. So many are still keep pushing them off. And so did the disciples in a way. Jesus was the important one. These babies were making noise. They were crying. They were running around. They were a distraction when everyone really wanted to hear Jesus. They were just there, apparently, to make life harder. But Jesus said, bring them to me. Jesus wanted the little ones to come, and he rebuked his disciples, not the children. Do not stop them from coming to me. Don't take faith away from children. Parents can either build up their children's faith or bring it, bring it down. I, I got to experience, I know what it's like to be a child, and I'm grateful that now I can understand what it's like to be a parent and, and witness that children love being loved. They love seeing what mommy and daddy are able to do, even if it's to open the lollipop wrapper. That it, that's the most complicated thing. I don't know how many times I've dropped the lollipop on the floor just trying to take it out. But they appreciate us for the things that we're able to do. They love to walk in our footsteps. They, they love to walk in our big shoes and clothes. And that's how God loves to see us in our relationship with him. That's how God wants us to trust him. What a reminder that we need to trust our good father to go back to that undamaged childlike faith that can just trust. Jesus said, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And maybe this is what you need to do today. You need to go back to that childlike faith. Not a life that you have everything figured out. It's all about your job. It's all about your possessions. It's all about your life goals and your life plans. But being able to trust because if Jesus said this, it's true. If he invites us, we need to go. And we need to let the world see. Continue reading in verse 18. A Jewish leader asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not accuse anyone falsely, respect your father and your mother. The men replied, ever since I was young, I have obeyed all these commandments. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, there's still one more thing 
you need to do. Sell all you have and give the money to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. Jesus saw that he was sad and said, How hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. It is much harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The people who heard him asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus answered, What is humanly impossible is possible for God. Then Peter said, Look, we have left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus said to them, And I assure you that anyone who leaves home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will receive much more in this present age and eternal life in the age to come. So this wealthy leader, he came to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? By the looks of it, this man should have had some confidence that he was going to inherit eternal life. He obeyed all of the commandments. He was doing all of that since he was young. But he knew deep down that that wasn't enough. There was something more to it. There was something more about his own salvation. Jesus started by replying, why do you call me good? And in a way, is it because you think I am like you? Are we good people? Are we both good people? Are you just calling me good to butter me up? Or do you truly see me as good? You truly recognize me as authority, as God. Then Jesus said, you know the commandments. And his answer was, I've done all of that my whole life. But how can I have eternal life? One time Jesus told the parable of the prodigal sons. You heard me right. Prodigal sons. The elder son abided by the rules. If you know this story, you know that the elder son always lived with his dad. But he wanted his goodness to pay off. When he saw that the father didn't value his performance the exact same way, he became bitter against his father. He thought his performance would be able to save him. He spent his life not enjoying the grace of the Father, the love of the Father, and not trusting the good heart of His Father. In church circles, we can easily become like the Pharisees. We can easily become like the elder brother. We think that we're the good people and that the rest of the world is the bad people. We keep the rules We think that performance is really what matters to God. If that's the case, we really don't know how good the heart of the Father is. We miss out on Him by thinking that we've earned it, that we deserve it, that we should be in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, no. We're all broken. And until we know that, And until we're able to expose our brokenness to Jesus and our need of Him, we won't be able to experience, to taste His grace, to taste the abundant love that He has for us. A love that heals, a love that forgives, a love that changes us. 
In this parable, the youngest son came to know the father's grace. The one who tried to live a perfect life missed out. So Jesus says, be careful. The rich man in this story was told, you've done well. There's nothing wrong in obeying and doing the very best that you can do. But there's still something in your way. There's still something between you and God. And this is my challenge for you today. I don't know if it's the exact same thing as this rich man. Because for him, the matter was money. The matter was his resources. Money was the false God that Jesus put his finger on. Jesus was simply saying, you have accumulated a lot. You've built your kingdom and you think you're in control of it all. Where is God in that story? Because this is important to Jesus. Stuff is getting in your way and you're tipping over. Now, Jesus didn't say, don't work hard. Don't do your very best. Don't do what you can do. But Jesus is saying, don't think that your life is all about that. If you depend on yourself, it will fall short. You need to open your hand. We don't know how many days we have left on earth. None of us. And Jesus is saying, we have to surrender everything we have to God. Whether it's our jobs, our cars, bank accounts. We need to be able to tell Jesus, Jesus... It's all about you. Jesus, I surrender it all to you. You take it. The doctor I spoke about just now, he left everything behind. He left his comfort. But he found joy. And he found freedom. We find real life when we experience the king in his kingdom. We find real life when we experience the grace and the love of our Father. Personally, I know that I wouldn't go back for anything. And letting God have our lives is such a small thing to ask. Continuing in Luke chapter 19. Jesus went on into Jericho and was passing through. There was a chief tax collector there named Zacchaeus who was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was a little man and could not see Jesus because of the crowd. So he ran ahead of the crowd and climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus, who, who was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, hurry down, Zacchaeus, because I must stay in your house today. Zacchaeus hurried down and welcomed him with great joy. All the people who saw it started grumbling. This man has gone as a guest to the house of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Listen, sir, I will give half my belongings to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I will pay back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Salvation has come to this house today. For this man also is a descendant of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Here we find another rich man. The first one was well respected for the good that he did, for keeping the law. He had a good status, a good reputation, a good position in society. This one had dirty money. He had stolen, cheated. Everyone hated him. Aren't there people like that in our society today as well? People that were deceived by greed, deceived by corruption. But are they happy? No. They feel lost, like Zacchaeus did. But he wanted to see Jesus. He wished to see him. But Jesus saw him first. Jesus said, I am going to your house. And he went gladly. If Jesus told us the same, wouldn't we feel naked and exposed? Like, wait a minute, Jesus, give me 15 minutes to clean up the house. Wait a minute, because I need to go grocery shopping. There's nothing in the fridge. So please just wait a little bit, Jesus. I'm not ready. But Zacchaeus didn't say that. He said, welcome, Jesus. Welcome to my house. But when all of that sin begins to sink in, when being at the very presence of Jesus was starting to feel unbearable, and I know that some of you, that's the way that you feel at church. Maybe not in many other places, but you feel that at church. Not because we're perfect, but Jesus is here in a very special way. And because we're in the very presence of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that loves us passionately, the one that gave his life to save us, we feel uncomfortable because of the way that we've been living, because of the priorities that we've set for our lives. But when Zacchaeus starting, started to feel that all of that sin beginning to sink in his heart, he repents radically. He said, I am changing today. I am giving it all back today. So Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. And I love the way that Jesus said, it's not just salvation came into your life. Is salvation came into your house. Because it's not just what happens inside, but salvation needs to come in everything. In all your relationships, in your household, in your possessions, in your priorities. It's you and your house that needs to serve the Lord. Jesus wants to be Lord of all. So Jesus gladly and accurately says, salvation has come to this house today. Today you are saved. And the day that we choose to repent, Jesus welcomes us. He saved us. We can come to Jesus and say, I'm a good person. We can't. We need to come to him in our need. We need to confess our sins. We need to, we need to want to change. 
And Jesus is able to do the rest because his grace is enough. His grace is sufficient to save us. He came to seek and save the lost. Have you seen yourself lost? Did you see Jesus save you in your past? Jesus wants to be the one that saves us continuously. I want to invite the worship team to come. If you're living in your own kingdom, pursuing the principles of this world, we know that what matters is to be the smartest, to be the richest, to be the most talented, the most educated. It's to be at the top. But there's a price to it. You need to hang on to it. Because those things eventually, they will all fade away. If we're living in the kingdom of God, we have to continuously bring our brokenness to Him. If we're living in the and receive life from Him. When we start living in, as God's chosen, holy, dearly loved children, He clothes us. With compassion, with kindness, humility, with gentleness, with patience, and we are able to become thankful people. When people come saying, When will the kingdom come? Where is it? He will be able to say, Do you see my child there? When people come saying, When will my glory come? Is there music playing? Where is it? He will be able to say, I was thinking, I'm hearing the Lord speaking to me now, but it wasn't. It's yeah. an echo. Wow. That's how powerful my voice is. <laughs> the kingdom of God does not come in the way that many people are looking for. But what God is expecting from us as citizens of his kingdom is that every time that people in the world look at us, they will be able to see As the kingdom of, of God. Kingdom. They will be able to see what does freedom truly look like. And I just want to close with this beautiful account that I've read also this week about a, how a Jewish marriage proposal happened in the first century. The groom, uh, then it was just a single man, but eventually he would become the groom. But he would invite the whole family, his side of the family, the bride's side of the family, to meet all together. And after eating, he would take a cup. The father of the, the groom would take a cup and give it to his son. And then the, the son would go before the bride of the, the groom. And give it to the bride. If she drank it, it would indicate that she was accepting this marriage proposal. She didn't have to drink it. So there was no obligation that she would have to accept to marry that man. But thankfully, and I, I, I hope that that's what happened. Otherwise, it would be very embarrassing. I remember when I proposed to Gabby, there, there was always that element of fear, but... But I was remembering that that's exactly what Jesus offers to us. And we remember that every time we have communion. 
Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's for you. I offer it to you. And when we have that kind of offer, it demands an answer. It's a tragedy for the bride to say, I don't know. But when you see the Son of God in the symbol of this cup saying, this is the symbol of my blood, of my life that I am giving you. Because that's how Jesus loved us. And he's asking us again and time again, continuously, will you give me your life as well? Jesus is worthy of our lives because he gave, he didn't think twice about giving his for ours. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it for God will conquer it. Will you stand with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we're grateful for your immense love, your tender kindness, your patience towards us every single day. We've come to know you as our Lord, as our Savior, but we've come to know you as our King because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for embracing us and accepting us into your kingdom. And Lord, we're still learning. What does it mean to be a citizen of your kingdom? Lord, and we cannot come to you saying that we're good. We can come to you saying that we, we've done everything, that we're able to do everything. Lord, we want to come before you with humility. But with a loving passion before the one that gave his life for us. The one that, that chose to accept us and forgive us when no one else could. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for pouring so much of your love and grace and power in us. So whatever we are today, it is because of you. Lord, but we don't want to stay the same. We want to learn what does it mean to surrender it all before you. Lord, and I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters that if anything has gotten in the way, if the cares of this world have gotten in, in, the, in the way of our relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you will renew our passion for you. I pray that you will take away what is not necessary. And you will help us open our hands and let it go. And Father, help us to give priority to the things that matter to you in your kingdom. Father, we want to see your kingdom come. And we want to participate in that. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Will you reign in our lives? Will you reign in your church? Will you continue to extend your kingdom in the hearts and lives of the people who are lost today? As we love as you've loved the world. And you gave your life for it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.